How's it, everybody? Nick and Ronnie. Hello, yeah. Nick. Yeah, Hello. Ronald. Lacker, lacker weekend or week for us South Africans. Many bragging rights this week. Lacker time in the URC. Did you get to watch the rugby, Ronnie? Are you over the COVID? I'm over the COVID. Well, Ronnie, I'm glad to see you're not as sullen as you were last week. Got a bit of life in you again. Not feeling um, sorry no, for yourselves. I don't know what the word sullen means. Sorry, it's a big word like photosynthesis. I shouldn't be using that with you. All right, so I'm over the COVID. We've established a couple of things. I am over the COVID. Uh, I watched the rugby this weekend, and you repeat back to me what I say on a regular occurrence. You did it last week in the podcast, and you're doing it today as well. Well, thank you, Ronald. And have you recovered from the fact that your favorite team is hosting the final down in Cape Town? I know it's a tough question, right? So I, I kind of have to be over it because it is a South African team that's hosting it. But we're obviously going to get to that point now. I'm very excited about the South Africans being one too. Yeah, I think your your boys have done it, eh? Since you're not a Sharks fan. Uh, the Stormers getting there. Why don't we dive straight into it? You know, the first final on, on Friday night. Did you actually back the Bulls for this one? Or are you just going to claim that you did? Well, I've got WhatsApp messages that prove I did back the Bulls. <laughs> Yeah, WhatsApp may say one thing, your super group pick says another. Yeah, okay. So I may have may have not been confident in backing the Bulls. I did say to one of my colleagues that you know the Bulls there's no chance they were gonna win. And then I before the game I messaged you and I was like, no, the Bulls are definitely gonna win. I have this feeling, you know, they're gonna do it. And we had our conversation about insurance policies and you know what it means to back a team on Super Brew. And then and basically then, you, you had a chat do. with me proving that you're fickle when it comes to supporting the boys. Well, it, I mean, it's difficult. It's, it comes down to the question of head and heart because my head was telling me that the Bulls really had no chance. But my heart and the way the game unfolded and how I got excited throughout the game definitely, you know, was in the favour of the Bulls. Yeah. No, well, I think a surprising score, Bulls winning that one 27-26. Much closer than either of us predicted it would be, but also in the Bulls' favour, which neither of us predicted. So very, very well, well done to the men from Pretoria. I know they brought Johnny Sexton onto the field, but he missed the conversion, which had he got, Leinster would have won. That's true. It was very close, though. But you know what? There's a finals rugby, right? So you win by one point, you win by 100 points. It doesn't really matter. I think Sexton coming on definitely did reignite Leinster a little bit. You know, they actually started to, to play to their strengths when he came on. But I also think he was in the refs era a bit too much, and that frustrated the, the officials. And Nah, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, listen to Ronnie, Ronnie. Probably. But finish your, finish your, I, I don't know, I cut you off there. Finish what you were going to you, say. Was he not in the officials' ear the whole time? No, he wasn't in the officials' ear the whole time. Not not uh, any more than any any good player should be. Right? I disagree. He was so full of it. He was also, he was, he was firing his team up and he was in the faces of the Bulls and he got a little bit aggressive there. But, you know, that's, I, I know what he was trying to achieve there. He was trying to fire his team up, Leinster, and... Yeah, they showed some fire. So by all means, he was doing what he what he thought was the right thing to do. And I commend him for that. I just obviously missing that one conversion early on. Yeah, back the to Bulls played incredible rugby. They played incredible rugby and they won and they deserved to win, I think. An unbelievable rugby. I mean, Marcel Coutier making 27 tackles. Phenomenal. That is an unreal stat to have. That then, is actually quite a, I mean, we usually talk about team, players making lots of tackles when they make 13 or 16. Yeah, you know, it's almost double that. Say? What did you say? How many did he make? 27. That's unbelievable. That's a lot, eh? Tell me, do you think Leinster sort of lost this fixture coming off a bit too confident after their quarterfinal hammering of Glasgow? 
Look, I think a, a common theme that I sort of picked up in, in sort of the forums that I was scanning through the, over this past week, well, not the past week, the past couple of days since the game, is that Leinster fans and Irish fans in general have been, you know, they've become complacent in, in the URC tournament. Most of them have thought that, oh, it's another year, it's another win for an Irish team, uh, we're just going to win this, and, you know, here comes the South Africans, and, you know, we bullied them back a bit. So it's not going to, next year, it's it's not as clear-cut as they thought it was going to be. I, I don't know if it was, they were overconfident or cocky or whatever, I just think it was a case of them being complacent. You know, they're not really used to some serious competition uh, in the URC. Maybe so in, in the Champions, you know, the Champions Cup, but not so much in the URC. So it's, it's, it's a case of complacency. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Leinster, five years on the trot, they've won this tournament. So caught a little bit off guard. The Bulls also played out of their socks. That's some of the best rugby we've seen the Bulls play this year. Cracker, cracker of a game. I really enjoyed watching that. After that, the excitement really started to build. You could see it on on our social media pages. You could see it talking to the boys in the WhatsApp groups possibility of an all south african final lining up and we just yeah need stormers to get the job done against ulster yeah it kind of caught us off guard right i mean i was convinced that yeah, the stormers kind of stood a chance i felt you know having beaten ulster before though under sort of dubious circumstances earlier in the year i knew that they could possibly do it again but i was convinced the bulls wouldn't take it and when the bulls finally won it was like oh well shit now i've got this scenario which none of us have prepared for and as fans right i mean i'm sure the teams and stuff in the back of their minds, so it could be a possibility, but I did not expect the Bulls to beat Leinster. I thought no one could beat Leinster. I thought it was done and dust that the Leinster was going to win this year's URC again. And then, boom, so the Bulls won. Now it's like all South African final. Now it, it yeah. became a little bit ridiculous now. Like, is this, is this now our first year? We shouldn't be this lucky in the URC. Well, I don't know if Jake White and uh, John Dobson would agree that it's luck. I think a lot of preparation has gone into it. And, you know, funny for me, I've been raving on this podcast about Marnie Libok, but he had a bit of an off night for the Stormers on Saturday. Yeah, I think a lot of people will look at his last kick and be like, yeah, no, look, he's clutch moment there. And he, he did exceptionally well to win that game for us. But I agree, he didn't have a very exceptional game. A bit of a below par game. He's had a good season, I'd say. Lots of good games that he's racked up throughout the season. But that wasn't a good game for him, I felt. But it wasn't just him. It was a lot of players in that Stormers team that just went a little firing. Bit. Yeah, yeah. I think they can count themselves lucky that they had Oaks like Dion Ferry and whatnot there to just fire the Oaks up. What a man a for Damien Willemser as well. You know, Willemser injury cloud over him throughout the week. First two minutes on the field, he makes a steal. Actually getting man of the match along the way. He was unreal on, on Saturday for the Stormers. Yeah, a little bit of a strange one, though. I thought his injury was far more severe than, you know, just being out of the game for so short. I thought, well, he, I thought he was out for the rest of the season, but yeah, I guess not. Yes, that arm was heavily strapped, eh? Yeah, that was, that was. But yeah, look, all credit to the Stormers. And then, you know, that ultimately ended up in us having an awesome African final. So we have a 1-2 going to the South African teams, which is unbelievable, really. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is unbelievable <laughs> that we've made it that far. But the officiating almost interrupted us there, hey? I don't know. People say the officiating was bad. I'm assuming this is why this is why you brought it up. As well. You sort of talked about how bad the officiating was, but I don't know so much. It's also like you're not sure if uh, Sexton was in the ref's ear because he really was. But let's just start with the Bulls game, okay? Referee there was from Italy, Andrea Piardi. He was a bit confused on that field. Let's be serious now. I mean, the ball hits him, is passed into him. 
He doesn't yeah, stop the yeah. game. And then he does stop the game, but he awards the scrum to the wrong team. Later in the game, yeah, he's but... awarding the line out to the wrong team. A little bit of confusion yeah. there. I hear so. When there's, when there's a lot going on and your mind is kind of on autopilot and you're thinking one thing, you know, you're like, oh shit, okay, I'm actually meant to put my arm in a different direction. I can believe that. But uh, that ruling about hitting the ref is a little bit, uh, I don't know, that's a bit of a gray area for me. It's, my, you know, I've, I, I know that Nigel Owens in the past has obviously stopped game when he's caught the ball. But I mean, when the ball hits the ref and sort of ricochets off him and goes off in a different direction. Is that not the equivalent of the ball hitting like the, the rugby post? You no, know? it's always I mean, a scrum. Always a scrum. But that's just a ridiculous thing. I mean... Uh, the yeah, ref shouldn't I be mean, in the way of the ball. You know, those are, those are mistakes that are forgivable. But then if we look over at the Stormers game, quite a lot of chatter about the officiating in that one. Uh, Mike Adamson had the whistle. Scotsman, you know, what did you think of him? Did you think that was an okay performance? Yeah, I, I mean, look, a lot of people have been raving about it. I mean, from the from the Ulster side and from the Stormer side, people saying for but we're officiating for both sides. And I don't know, maybe I just got caught up in the excitement of it all, but I didn't think so. I think they he definitely well. missed missed the forward pass for the Ulster try. And yes, that was ridiculous. But that's where the team should be stepping in. No, correct. And he should How have. How can you say? How can you say he should have reviewed the kick because he's got two t- linesmen standing right underneath the post that said the ball went through? It's not his responsibility. He 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 charges his his assistant referees to make that call. And if they are both confident by raising the flag, it wasn't like they half raised the flag, one raised the flag, the other didn't. They both put their flags up. They both were convinced the ball was over. So there's no need to go back and, and review, review it. I mean, he wasn't standing by behind the camera. He was standing... By the ball kick, by by the player who kicked the ball. I don't know. I, I yeah, you make you make a fair point there. I can't see. No, that I mean I only make fair points. <laughs> Flipping Ronnie Fairpoint. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Is that your surname? Hey, not two cent. Fairpoint. <laughs> no, yeah, it's Ronnie Ronnie Fairplay two cent. Like you said, we're onto an all South African final. Big big game going down in Cape Town this weekend. Ticket pros actually even crashed this afternoon for the flurry to to buy tickets. What are we expecting from that one, Ronald? I don't know. I think for me, the teams play like they did this past weekend. It's definitely going, going in favour of the Bulls. For me, it's quite a simple simple prediction, if that's the case. If the Stormers can take advantage of their home ground advantage, then maybe we're in for a closer game. But I think, I think this is going to be a comfortable win for the Bulls. I know that's a little bit cocky, though. I think you're right. You know, the momentum definitely seems with the Bulls that win over Leinster. I don't think the travel factor is as much of a, a thing as it would have been in Super Rugby. You know, we're just flying the same time zone, time zone back down to South Africa. If the semi-final, the Stormers got through like they did with those players misfiring, and that was their one hiccup game for the season, they come back to, to full strength. I think it's really going to be a tight contest at the weekend. Also coming down to maybe just one kick or a drop goal, you know. Look, it's finals rugby. They tend to be a little bit closer, but I still I don't see why this isn't going to be a, a win for the Bulls. I'm convinced of it, and I'll be backing them on Super Brew. So you'll be backing the Bulls. I am also going to back the Bulls. I have a colleague who's a big Stormer supporter, and he's been very loud this week. So I'm going to definitely be backing the Bulls on Super Brew, hoping that can climb me up the log a little bit because I've had a two shocker weeks in a row. Yes, that's damn absolutely true. So you've also put a comment here, I see in our agenda for to this evening. We've got Warburton's comments. Have I missed something? What has Warburton said? Well, dear old Sam Warburton officially 
earlier in the year asked, you know, why, what value do the South African teams bring to the URC? It was about one month into the competition. He had that all to say. And, you know, South Africa's Mark Ioni decided to poke the bear a little bit. Sam then coming out and said, you know, there's no doubting South Africa's ability, fantastic rugby nation, but the league just doesn't make sense to him. It's a random mix and match of clubs. I think it's only because it's called, the, it was called, it was looked at as a European league. It's not a European league anymore. Sorry. Yeah, it's, I think his comments are a bit directionless, actually. Like Sensational, trying to sell newspapers and whatnot. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't care too much about it. Yeah, and Sam, if it really bugs you that much, there's a chance that Wales will be kicked out or drop out of the competition with the way things are going there. Then yes, you won't have to be shame. displeased by this. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just, just a stupid comment. I think the South African sides are loving the URC. And I actually think it's a huge benefit to Ireland. I've seen a couple of, of writers remark that this week. But, you know, Ireland having the challenge of the South African sides might just make them even harder to take on come the World Cup next year. That's what a lot of people are saying on the internet, I suppose, on the forums that I've been reading and whatnot. So actually, when I talk about forums, I just talk about Reddit because that's where I spend most of my time anyway. That's what Ireland is saying. They need that physical, that physicality in the in their competition, in the domestic competition, to prepare them for the likes of South Africa and some of the bigger, stronger nations coming in the World Cup. So I think a lot of people are seeing it as positives. I think a lot of the fans disagree with what people like Sam Warburton are saying. And I'm not talking about South African fans. I'm talking about fans from the URC, all intents and purposes. I think it's good for it's good for Ireland. Bad for New Zealand. We still, I mean, it's good. I'm glad that we went to the URC as a fan, but uh, let's see what the impact of the competition like the URC will have on the Springboks at the end of this year and going into next year, because next year is a full calendar for the Oaks. I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. And then, Ronnie, let's just quickly take a look. There's two other finals coming on this weekend, you know. So let's start with Super Rugby. Super Rugby Pacific is also an all-New Zealand affair. Brumbies dropping out in the semis, losing that fixture 2019 to the Blues. Bowden Barrett once again on fire, hey? Yeah, I actually watched that game and I do agree with you. He was, uh, well, I don't agree with you, actually. I've always maintained that Bowden Barrett is a quality player, uh, but I I felt that he had an exceptional game this this past weekend. So well done to him. Yeah, a good game from him. And so the Blues getting the home final. They will face the Crusaders, who beat the Chiefs 27 in the other semifinal. Also, ridiculous defensive game from the Crusaders, making 227 tackles. That's an unbelievable number. Yeah, the Crusaders really, really performed well there. What a final it's going to be between the two sides. So that's coming, coming ahead on Saturday morning. I'm very keen. I'm definitely going to spend my whole day watching finals rugby. So that's going to be lacquer. I, I, I agree with you. It's going to be very exciting to watch both competitions or not both competitions. And those two teams going up against one another. But also it's a little bit of a letdown for me. I just felt that those two have been stellar teams in a very underpar or subpar competition. So I'm being a little bit biased there, but I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I, I do get what you're saying, Ronnie. But do you have a prediction for that final? Who's going to take it? Uh, Crusaders will take it. I don't say that very confidently, though, but I think the Crusaders should take that one. I think the Blues are going to take it. I'm going to go for uh, Blues by three. I'll go Crusaders by one. Very, very close affair. And then over to the English Premiership. You know, it's not a tournament we, we regularly cover, but it's also their final this weekend. Uh, or well, the English relevant, even. 
Yeah, you know they have to be sometimes, otherwise Eddie Jones. I must say something furious. offensive now, so I'm just joking. <laughs> we love English. Saracens 34, Harlequin 17. You know, Andre Esterhazen representing the Quins, Marcus Smith. They're a team that traditionally comes back in the second half, even if they're about 30 points down. But they just couldn't overcome the quality of the Saracens. Hey, Saracens putting off the win there, taking themselves to the final in their first year back since relegation for what money, I don't want to say money laundering, but violating. <laughs> for money laundering, <laughs> for breaching uh, salary cap. Rules. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, Ronald. Yeah. yeah, look, well done to Saracens. They've always been a strong unit. I think it was a little bit of a weird one for everyone to see them not competing in the top league. And then, you know, now that they're back, everybody's kind of like, yeah, but you know what? They're actually, they should be lucky their first year in the top league. But, you know, they are getting good wins out. I don't really know what to make of their performances recently. But look, they are strong. They've made it down to the end, to the final. So, yeah, going to take on Leicester. That should be exciting. I don't really know how to call it between those two teams. Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge. It is a bit of a challenge. So obviously this is a tournament that I need to spend a little bit more time watching going forward or at least next year when it kicks off again. So yeah, I don't even know how to make a call. How do you choose between the two? Well, like you said, you know, Leicester 27-14 Northampton Saints. So Leicester getting through to the final. I'm, I'm quite keen to see the battle between Owen Farrell and George Ford in that game. I think that should be quite a lucky one. And Tigers will actually be led from fly-off by Andre Pollard next year. Oh, that's right. Yes. So that is something that we'll have to get involved with a little bit too if, if, if our staff Springbok fly-off is going to be playing there. So I'm going to go for a Leicester win by two points in that one. What is, what is your call there, Ronnie? I have no reason to doubt you. So I'm going to go Leicester by two as well. I think uh, we'll see how it goes. And then just quickly before we delve into what we really want to talk about, which is the Springbok squad. I just want to bring up that there's a Barbarians game on this weekend against England. I got a glance at that Barbar squad and it is actually pretty damn impressive. So their front row is Jean-Baptiste Gros. I hope I said that right. Pierre no, you Bougu- definitely said that wrong. I, I can speak foreign. Pierre Bougueri at hooker and Trevor Inyakane at tight head. Oh, like a Trevor. So Trevor's starting there. And then retirement game for George Crew, you know, the English lock. And he's partnered by Will Skelton. So that's a dynamite tight five. I was quite impressed with that. Charles Olivan and Dylan Cretin from France are also in the loose trio. Sounds more like a French Barbarians. Is that what we're saying? This is more of a French-themed Barbarian squad. Pretty much. I mean, your 9, your 10, your 11 are from France. Even your wing, Damien Penot, he's starting. Epic, epic player. Most of the squad is French. Trevor's the only South African featuring there. But I think that's going to be a pretty good game. And that's on this weekend. Now that's coming. on this weekend as well. So... Four epic fixtures to watch. URC final, Super Rugby final, Prem final, and Barbarians versus England. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's, that's an exciting weekend of rugby that lays ahead. So guys, get your, get your girlfriend's massage vouchers or something. Send them for drinks with friends. There's plenty of reason to be sitting in front of the TV this weekend. Uh, I, some girls will also have to send their, uh, their boyfriends for massages too. Yeah, if your boyfriend watches soccer, then the inverse is true. All right, then. We've spoken about a lot of things that we both know we need to speak about, but I really, really have been looking forward to speak about, to talking about this, and that's the box squad announcement. So I'm not really sure, Nick, Nick how do you want to talk about the structure, but I think uh, let's jump right into it, I suppose. 43 men uh, named. Yeah, 43-man squad. It's obviously quite a, a large squad to have named. 20 of those players won't feature in a match day team. 
that being said, I'm I'm quite generally satisfied with the squad. You say 20 players won't feature. It does no, this not include the A team. It looks like the A tests have been pushed to November. Oh, is that so? Is that, is yeah, it that looks way? it looks like they've been pushed out. Obviously, no official confirmation from that, but it does seem as though the the SAA fixtures will be played against Northern Hemisphere opponents come November. Okay. All right. Well, then let's jump right into it. We have for props. Um, well, let's props talk. Are... Sorry, I was just going to interrupt and say let's talk about the smartest people on the field. You know, the front rowers. So, oh, so you want to start with the eighth men? Is that so? Okay, cool. we'll start talking about the eighth men. <laughs> yeah, Ronald, you you can claim that, but we all know it's it's the front rows that deserve the most praise. Bit of a dumb comment there from you, but yeah, fine. Let's I'll I'll, I'll entertain you. Let's talk about the props. Yeah, Thomas the Tank, he's in there. Pretty much what we expected. Kitsov, Koch, Oxen Chair, Trevin Yakane, and then the surprise pick. Oh, Malherba as well. You're correct. I almost forgot him. And then Untutukum Chunu, the newbie in that, that pack. Were you going to say he's your surprise pick? Well, not really, considering I wrote an article about him a month ago saying he would make the SAA side. So glad to see him there. I think he's a youngster. He's wow. very powerful. And funny enough, our writer Liam used to play against him in school. So is that so? Yeah, look, he's very exciting as well, especially you're saying coming up against Leinster. The commentators made a comment that you know him not he got penalised for not rolling away, and they all made a comment that's the fastest he's going to move. But you know, I want to see this guy strap on a Springbok jersey; he's going to move a lot faster. And you know, I'm sure the jersey means a lot for him. But I, you know, I generally like the props. There's no real surprises for me here. I think it's it's a very good looking squad. Yeah, I think pretty much what we expected. You know, we have. Two very powerful front rows. They're all fit and, and selected. Moving That's going to suck playing against any of these guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then we move on to, to the hookers. The hookers, the three of them are Joseph, Joseph Dweba, Malcolm Marks, and Bongi and Banambi. So I'll just kick off. I've, I've predicted the, these three. I don't think there are any surprises there for me. I'm a little bit a little bit um, sad for Jan Grobelard, but you know, he had a very exceptional game for the Bulls playing against Leinster also a good season. But in all honesty, you're not I don't I, I can't see anyone moving Malcolm and Bongi from their from their one two positions. And then Joseph Dweber is obviously a massive unit, so you're not gonna move him either. Yeah, I think Dweber, like you say, I mean Bongi and Malcolm, no dispute about the two of them being there. Joseph Dweber, you know, had a difficult season for Bordeaux, benching quite a lot for the side. He was in the box squad last year, got one test cap. So obviously they're looking to build on that. But I have to have to agree with you. Johan Krobola must have just narrowly missed out on selection here. Yeah, we'll talk about him a little bit later. But Dion Ferry is also a potential hooker. And I think it was must have been a toss-up between Dion Krobolar and Dion Ferry because I find them to be very similar. Although Dion is considered a utility. But we'll get around to him a little bit later. We then have our locks, though. Uh, Luet, Yebin, uh, Salman Murat. We've got Ruan Wakia and, and Marvin Ori. So I would have liked to have seen the names of Archias Neyman in here. But obviously, he's injured and... The only player missing is Arkias Neyman, you know. He's injured, as you say, unfortunately not featuring much for Munster since the World Cup. Very happy to see Ruan Nokia in the squad. I think there's a lot of competition there. Most of these guys will only get game time should we go for the 6-2 split. Obviously, we know Sos, Diacher and, and Irben are frontliners. And Arkia will probably make his way quite easily back into the team should that, that time come. But very excited to see, you know, Marvin Ori building on his test caps, him and Yibin with a lock pairing in school. Ranakia 
played every single minute of the Bulls URC campaign so far. So pretty impressive. Yeah. And then uh, moving on to the loose forwards. I mean, this is always like, this is very contentious. I know you and I already disagree with some yeah. of these players and <laughs> you've been advocating for Marcel Kutsia. But anyways, let's just go through the list and we'll talk about them. We have uh, Peter Steph Toy, We have Marcel Kutsia, Sia Khaleesi, Alric Lowe, Ivan Roos, Kwaka Smith. Uh, and Jasper Visa. So those are, those are your loose forwards and obviously a couple more names. Might as well mention them here, I suppose. Reynard Elstad, Dion Fury, and Franco Mostert. So it's, it's a pretty big list of, of, say, loose forwards plus utility forwards. I know Franco Mostert, he plays lock generally, so they've listed him here as a utility, but we might as well just call him a lock. Reynard Elstad and Dion Fury, might as well just toss them in with the loose forwards. So it's 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 a powerful unit, and you know people have been asking, where's Dwayne? Well, I'm sure you could tell us all about Dwayne in a moment. You've also got Michael van Stad and Eskom. So where's he? He seems to also have an injury. Is that right? Yeah, so Marco van Staden was actually my surprise omission there other than Dwayne. But I went and checked. He is actually injured at the moment. So that's probably why he's been excluded. Jasper Visa representing Leicester. So he'll be playing in the Prem final this weekend at eight, probably. Player I'm not so keen on, unfortunately. I think, you know, his position will probably come under threat when Dwayne returns and van Staden returns. But very happy to see Ivan Rus. And Ivan, your granddad actually followed us this weekend and dropped us a message. No, legend, eh? Shout out to the Rus family. Very, very proud Kurs. of you guys. Ivan, Especially you, Kurs Rus. Yeah, Kurs yeah. Rus. For sure. Shout out to you. And then Kwaka there, we knew he was there. He performed very well for the box last year. And then Marcel Kutsia. Very happy about this selection. I know, you know, especially, I mean, he's just like Pat Lambie up there in your list of favorite players of all time. So, you know, I like Marcel Kutsia as well. I didn't think that he stood a chance. I thought with his injuries over the years, you know, it's not like he's a bad player, but other players have just put their hands up and sort of fit the bill a little bit better. But you know what, Marcel Kutsia is here. A couple of points that people have also made is what about the Dupria brothers? Oh, I've never been so stressed about the Dupria brothers, eh? Me neither. They don't like to pass. They just like to run straight. And we will have enough players that are really good at running straight. But the squad actually features a lot of loose forwards. Hey, So they've cast the net quite wide here, showing, I guess, the conveyor belt that we've always had in this department. Some tight competition. Yeah, I... Alrich Lowe is another one we didn't mention now. He's also a very strong player. You know, where do yeah, you absolutely. fit them all in? No, I think exactly for that reason. That's We, we produce so many... F- loose forwards in this country that they've had to obviously split it into two sections, loose forwards and utility forwards. But, you know, you might as well just bunch them all together, bunch of animals, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, even Dion Ferry, right? So he's 35 years old now or something, I read. He's a, he's a small, but he's still an animal, right? And he's a bit of a ferocious, he's, he's, an, he's an old hooker, so you can't trust those hookers. They will, they just, I mean, he's got a black eye, played the weekend with a black eye. I mean, the... the these oaks are dangerous people, right? They are thugs in the ruck, so good on him. And this is this entire list of names that we've listed here from Evan Ruiz, Alric Lowe, Dion Ferry, Franco Mostert, Quaka Smith, Yasmith. He said these are ferocious people that I do not want to come and meet at the bottom of a ruck somewhere. No, for sure not. So let me ask you the tough question then, Ronnie. You're starting loose trio. Sia, Peter, Steph, who's at eight without Dwayne here? Evan Ruiz. I would love to see Evan Ruiz. I have a feeling it's going to be Jasper. But I would love to see Ivan Rus joining that. Him and Peter Steftatoy with their work rate on a field will demolish Wales. 
you know, you could actually name Elric Lowe there as well, um, in all honesty. But yeah, I think Evan Riss, I'd give him a shot there. He deserves an opportunity. We've played Jasper there. Some people would say Jasper's been very, very good at eight. You, I don't think, agree with him playing at eight. I'm um, convinced he's a distant relative of Dian Greiling. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. I went for another conversation for another day, but you know, I just feel Evan Riss might as well give him a shot. I mean, this is the opportunity to blood these players. Give him a shot at starting. Yeah, you know, we'll see where it goes. Then we move on to scrum odds. I know you had something to say. Can I move on to scrum odds? Can you just nod and I can move on to scrum odds? Yes, you okay, can move right. on to scrum odds. Thanks, Ronald. So I've got a I've got a lot to say about the scrum odds. So we've got Fuck the Clerk, Jaden Hendricks, Herschel Yankees, Kirbis Reiner. Rod Williams. So I know is some team names or some squads they've actually put a bit of an asterisk there next to Kurbis because he actually seems to be out of it. Yeah, um, so Kurbis is actually just rehabbing with the team. He would have to go right. back back um, overseas first to get cleared to come back anyway, but he's doing his rehab with the team. Okay, so that makes sense. So, but anyways, that's five players there. So we've got Faf, Jaden, Herschel, Clovis, and Grant. I mean, five scrum offs is a lot of scrum offs to have in any squad. That's um, a lot. We're going to get to the centers in a moment here, but five, right? So, okay, we could take Clovis Reinach out. That just leaves us with four scrum offs. It's still a very large number. I feel like you could almost leave Faf to click out of the picture because we know what we have with him. We can play him in the championship later later this year. Might as well. I, I just have Mitchell to pause you there, Grant. Ronald. I think Why? I think Fuff is probably the most crucial player for the series against Wales. Why? Purely because of the tactics that Wales uses. I think so you, okay, so you're you're arguing from the perspective that we need to beat Wales. We shouldn't be blooding our younger players. No, no, I'm a hundred percent in support of blooding younger players, but I feel like Fuff is the one player that the game will revolve around against Wales. Oh, it's, it's very important, I think, to have stability like that in must-win games. But this is not a must-win game or must-win series. You know, I think test one, if you win that, it opens up a lot. You want the youngsters to come into a squad that is winning as well. I just feel for Wales specifically, if it was another team coming, I might disagree. But purely for how we play Wales, how Wales play the game, I think Fafta Klerk is very crucial to, to that series. Maybe third test... He won't be there, but I think he'll definitely be required for the first two. So we play him now. We play him in the championship. We play him at the end of year tour. Play him in every game up until the World Cup. No, I would rotate more in the championship, especially against Argentina and Australia. And the last test against Wales. There's still a test against Italy coming. It's Maybe it's my personal thing and I'm wrong, but I do feel like Faf de Klerk is the crucial senior player to have for the Wales series. I think I, I, think I absolutely agree with you there. You are wrong. <laughs> well said. I was actually flabbergasted for a second that you were agreeing with me. No, no. Look, I think if I have to click, we absolutely know what we have with him there. It's going to suck if we lose to Wales, but this is so far out from the world. This is as far from the World Cup as we're going to get. You know, it's, we're only getting closer. That's how time works. We move well forward. done. You've been watching um, some nice so words. <laughs> I would leave Faf the Clerk out of it. Yeah, but in, me, in, in that breath, do we not already know who our top three scrum halves are? It's Faf, Reiner, Herschel. How, ma- okay. how, much more, how much more do you want to blood players outside of that? We know where our depth lies. Hendricks got capped last year. Grant Williams needs a cap. You don't, you, you're not going to the World Cup with five scrum halves. Let's be serious. 
Yeah, you're not going to the World Cup with five scrum offs, but uh, you might as well leave Fife at home to rest. He's had a very long season, and we know what we have with him. We know that he, when he comes back to the field, he's going to be a quality player for the same reason that you know we'll probably get to bloody France Stain in a moment. We know what we have with Fife de Klerk. Okay. Now it's time for the other okay. other Oaks to step up. So yes, no, we, we we both agree that you're wrong and I'm right. So we'll move on to the fly halves now. We've got Elton and Pollard. That's it. It's only two files. Ridiculous. So I, I actually put an article out about this today. Quite a few people came back and said, what am I talking about? We've got plenty of depth at fly half. We've got Damien Willemse and Francois Stein. Now, let me just put on the record here. I do believe that they can play fly half. Do I want them starting at fly half in a World Cup final? No. Those are players that can do it in an emergency, but they are not players you run through a World Cup tournament as you're starting fly half. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. Although with Ron Stein, we also didn't know that, didn't think he was going to be our starting uh, inside center in 2007. And then last minute, boom, he was. So he's got the ability to step up into an unfamiliar position and make it his own. It, it is a little bit scary that we've got Teddy Alton and, and, and Andre Oni and like you say, Damien Willemse, a little star next to his name. But yeah. You know, and obviously Johan Gerson is, is with the Bach team at the moment. Jacques came out today and said, you know, he's just also rehabbing with the team, getting to know the culture because they're a player he's or they're looking at for backup in the fly half channel. I, I struggle to understand that when you've got someone like Marnie Lubok that you can call in who can actually play and add value now because they're acting as if they're only thinking about the World Cup. What if Pollard gets injured now in the, the, the training or Alton gets charged and can't play? Then then what? Then you bring Marnie Lubok in at the last minute when you could have had all this preparation time with him too and he's a player that can actually take to the field if needed. Exactly the same way I feel about Grant Williams. So, yeah, short at fly half, it's definitely our concern. Obviously, I do back Pollard as our starting 10, but I'm worried if there's, if there's a problem there, if there's an injury there, we're in big shit. All right, then we move on to the centers. And this is why I, this is why I made a point about the number of scrum offs that we took, because we've only got Lucania, Damien, Andre, Jesse Creel. That's four centers that I meant to split across two positions, whereas with scrum offs, we've got five scrum offs. There's only one, one scrum off position in for one position, right? So and actually, is, if you is... if you look at it, there's say three center positions. If you put one on the bench ever, and there's only four of them selected, scrum off. Yeah. Even if you include a bench, it's two from five. Thinking that it, it doesn't make sense. So if you want to, if you want to blood players like Grant Williams and and Jen Henry, so then you leave after Kirk at home because you know what he has. Because these are the players that you can afford to potentially leave at home. But with our centers, we don't have enough centers. I feel yeah, there should be more training because Lucania goes down. Okay, what do you do now? Do you do you bring Jesse Krill in to play in place of Lucania, and then who backs up? JC Creel, do we then, is that Damien Willems' job then as the utility back or, or Kurtley Orenser? Is that, is that what we're talking here? Also interesting that JC Creel is included in the centers when the last three tests of last year, he played on the wing for the Springboks. Yeah, yeah, and he's traditionally a fullback. Yeah, right? so uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm definitely worried about outside center. I don't think Creel is a, a like-for-like or even equal quality substitution for um. Esther Hazen, Dialende, powerhouses for, for the 12 jersey. But maybe someone like a young Southampton should have gotten a look in at 13. 
Absolutely. We've mentioned a lot of uh, centers that have come through the Springbok ranks in, in the Alistair Kutia years, and we've kind of forgotten about them. You know, Rowan Jans van Rensburg, Frank Kufenta, you know, whoever you just mentioned. Who did you just mention? Jan that's what I was uh, slip my mind there. Where are these players? I'd rather put some of these in and then five, you know, take five bloody scrum offs. Jeez, <laughs> like it. And then That's outside a lot of passing practice. Yeah, then we've got the outside backs. We've got Apalele Fassi, Warwick Falant, Chesen, Colby, Falila, Hu, and Makazola Mapimpi. And then, you know, we're not going to talk about these guys specifically, but tossing in Kurt Lee, Orenser, and Damien Willems are there as well in your outside back slash utility backs mix. Yeah, well, let me start off by saying I'm pretty chuffed that Warwick Halant has made it. I think he's been a star performer for the Stormers. Fussy, very happy he's there. Disappointed that I see Vili LaRue's name there still, but it is what it is. I think the youngsters will have to to work him out of the position if they want to take that before the World Cup. He's not just going to give that jersey up. Kirtley Arons are also exciting prospect. I mean, when he came on for the Bulls on Saturday, he performed very well against Leinster. Some real attacking threats. Yeah, I think I'd like to see Apalele Fassi and and um, and Valila who working very closely together, so that you could hand those reins over to Fassi. You know, hopefully that takes place uh, before the World Cup, or does this mean we are going to the World Cup with Valila who? But yeah, Vorikalant also chuffed to see him. He's had a stellar season with the Stormers. Jason Colby, we know what we have with him. Yeah, good to Spoo see him Corsi. back from injury. Spoo's injured yeah. still. Is he, so he's injured as well, and that's yeah. why he wouldn't have been selected. All right, well then, you know, like you say, Curtly Aronson to me, just a very small Jason Colby. That's uh, that's very, very dangerous runner with the ball. Maybe just if you could bulk up a little bit. Yeah, I think awesome. imagine a, a, a Pimpy, Fussy, Colby back three. It's quite dangerous, eh? Hey? Because Fussy is lethal with ball in hand and on, in broken play. And if he's got oh, Colby man. running off him... I still maintain I'd like to see what uh, Chesson Colby could do at 15 and putting Spoon Corsi on the wing. But yeah, that's true. Just... That's also something to explore. Are, are we going to see a famous Cheslin stepping of the fullback, most likely Liam Williams, this coming tour? <laughs> I actually like uh, Liam Williams. I, I, I feel sorry that you know, he's been very unlucky playing for Wales and they haven't really won the competitions that they may have deserved to have won over the years. Shame of fool, but sorry. I, I, I feel like those uh, steps are reserved for the likes of Owen Farrell, who I don't like. Yeah. yeah, well, I think we've gone through the squad. Obviously, we're set to face Wales on the 2nd of July for the first time here at Loftus. But also seeing in the media this week, Dan Bigger seems to have picked up an injury. So really hoping he can get it right. He was supposed to captain the Welsh side coming here. Hopefully, hopefully Dan's okay. I, I would not like to see Wales coming here with Arden. I know a lot of people have had a lot to say about Dan Bigger when he came with the Lions to South Africa. And things got a little bit uh, spicy when he actually was forced to leave the field. But yes, I think, I think Dan Bigger is still very much important for the Wales team. So hopefully he will be there. And I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see the Springboks take on Wales with bigger in the squad. And then, Ronnie, you know, we've just spoken about the box squad and I'm assuming you're in a good mood. So am I being too hopeful, hoping that we're getting a rave today or are we ranting again? I don't know. It's just my two cents that I'm giving today. <laughs> it's not See? really a rant or a rave. The rant or rave just came up because I started complaining a lot. And then uh, I suppose that's just who I am. But this week I wanted to just give chat or just chat about what's happening in the MLR. 
in the Western Conference, we actually have two teams that are owned by the same guy, Adam Gilchrist, who by the sounds of things doesn't know how to work a budget. So you made you mentioned it earlier with the Saracens with salary cap breaches. The money laundering. For the like you said, money laundering, which I suppose is a, is a bold accusation to make. But why on earth are teams getting this wrong? I don't understand how they are getting things wrong. How do they not actually know how to read a contract or put a contract in place and not get themselves disqualified? But what's happened now is we've got the LA Giltinis and also Gilgronis, who are both named after two of Adam Gilchrist, the owner's favorite cocktails. So there we go, Gilgronis and and, and, the, and the Giltinis, that's, they named after his cocktails, which is just a random fact. For me this week, I just wanted to understand what that bloody hell is going on with these teams, especially now the MLR. Both teams in the Western Conference, there aren't even any teams to pick from anyways. And now two of them go get themselves disqualified at the business end of the competition. I mean, they were two, they were one and two in the Western Conference and they get themselves kicked out. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But I've seen there's been a bit of controversy. You know, I follow um, Adam Ashley Cooper, I follow Matt Gitto, and the likes of them have been posting and saying, you know, why have we been kicked out? Where is this violation? My understanding was that one team was kicked out, then the other team supported them and was subsequently kicked out. I'm not sure what the controversy is there. But yeah, like you say, poor form having that happen at the business end of a competition. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know, was that a rant or a rave? Or nothing? Yeah, I think that's the first one that's been sort of in the middle, you know, questionable behavior point. being pointed out. Yeah, stop stop behaving questionably. There we go. It's like Ronnie back in square days, eh? Questionable behavior. Okay, so shall we move on to the uh, final stat today? Yeah, if you want to brush over square so quickly, I guess we can move on to Saturday. Last week, it was Jean de Villiers and Javari. That was I got a, it right. Yeah, well done, Ronald. You did get it right. So I thought I'd make this week's one a little bit harder again and, and give you a name the player. So as always, questions or clues will be posted out during the week. The answer coming to you on Saturday. Let's give it a go, Ronnie. This player has 13 test caps to his name. He has right. 181 test points. His professional debut came in 1990 at the age of 19. He holds a rugby world record. And his test debut was against the British and Irish Lions. What are your questions, Ronald? So before I ask you these questions, I'm pretty sure I know who this player is. You um, reckon? I don't know. Can I make a guess and then ask you my questions? And then, depending on that, either stay or, or change my... Yeah, you can do that. We'll, we'll allow it. So, okay, so I'm pretty sure this is Yanni de Beer, right? I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because you mentioned he only has 13 caps, right? Yeah, needed to be did not have many caps. I think he sounds about right. He made his debut test against against uh, the Lions, which is around the late nineties, right? And he would have had to have been a fly off to score that many points, hundred eighty one in only thirteen tests. So that's that's my that's maths, maths, maths. So, well, Ronnie, you seem yeah, pretty right. certain of yourself. So, all right. So, first question: Is he a World Cup winner? No, he is not a World Cup winner. All right, all right. We're going down the Yanni de Beer path here. So the names, could you give me some names of the players with whom he would have competed against in, say, the same teams for his starting class position? Yeah, so players he was competing against for his position were the likes of Neil Jenkins, Phil Greening, Carlos Spencer, Joel Stransky, Maurice Field. 
quite a lot of them. You see that you you answered that completely. Not who was he competing against in a team environment. He was competing against for the position of fly half. See, I asked that question specifically like that. But so is that your third question now? So you're wrong. No, third question is <laughs> which record does he hold? He holds the record for the most drop goals in a single game. I don't change my answer. <laughs> so you're gonna stick with Yanni Dubier? Well, like everyone else, you're gonna have to wait for Saturday for the answer. Yeah, let's see how it goes. This weekend, we've got a cracker amount of rugby on. Very keen to watch it. And yeah, I'll catch you guys back here next week, Thursday, to celebrate either the Bulls or Stormers being the first URC champions. Bottom line, it'll be a South African victory. So, like, uh...